Good morning, church family. It's good to see you. Thank you so much for being here. If you're visiting with us, thank you. Thanks for taking the time to uh, be here. I know many of you are probably here for your moms, and we're certainly appreciative of that. Uh, There's always a good crowd on Mother's Day. We recognize that. We appreciate that. And we are just glad that you are here to worship God. Now, what a wonderful opportunity it is for us to get together and to worship God. It has been a great weekend for those of you who were able to uh, participate in the area-wide singing we had last night at Dogwood Park. Uh, That was a blessing, and it is a blessing even more so uh, for us to be here together and to worship God this morning. Uh, As you know, and as we've already said a couple of times, it is Mother's Day. Uh, You would think, uh, probably, you might think at least, that Mother's Day is a pretty easy day to preach a sermon, but I'll tell you, it's really not. It's kind of one of the more difficult days to preach a sermon because you never know exactly where everybody's at. Some folks have uh, lost their mothers, so Mother's Day's a hard day. Uh, some ladies who would love to be mothers aren't mothers, so Mother's Day is a hard day. Uh, but we have many, of course, mothers who we should recognize and appreciate. And, and whether or not we do that with a, with a sermon or not necessarily is, is not maybe what we have to do. But we do want to show our appreciation uh, for our mothers. But we also want to recognize that uh, we are all at different places and at different points. And sometimes holidays of any variety, even Mother's Day, can be a tough thing. So in preparation for uh, today's sermon, I, I texted a, a number of, of ladies, uh, both here and, and other congregations that I've worked with previously and some friends, and, and I got a, a, a ton of amazing information. If you want to know uh, what ladies think about Mother's Day and what they think they want to hear or would like to hear or need to hear in a sermon, I'll be happy to share all of that with you. I would not say that this morning's sermon is a, is a collaboration uh, of what they've said, but it is probably a, a culmination of what they have said. What we want to look at this morning is three lessons that certainly apply to mothers and motherhood, but in reality, they will apply to you whether you're a mother or not. Uh, They will apply to whatever relationship, especially any relationship of influence that you have. Motherhood, being a mother, is certainly a a relationship of influence, and the things that we'll look at this morning will definitely definitely apply to you in any relationships that you have like that. So we're going to look at three different stories and consider three different uh, things, lessons that we can go and apply to our lives. Answer the call. Uh, we're going to ha- be in the book of Esther here in just a few minutes. If you want to go ahead and turn to Esther uh, chapter 4. Uh, Esther chapter 4, that's on page 412 in your pew Bible, if you're using that Bible. Uh, answer the call. Now, many of us familiar with the story of Esther, you already probably know where we're going with that, and, and, and that's fine. But does anybody remember the urgency of a ringing phone? Now, if you're 25 or under, you probably don't remember the urgency of a ringing phone. Because I was thinking about, I was actually going to see if I could, you know, bring my cell phone up here and and get Evan to call me like right at this moment. And I was going to take the phone call while everybody was staring at me while I'm talking and and preaching, but on the phone. Uh, You would think that would be ridiculous, right? But but nobody really, unless unless you're of a certain age, myself included, I think, and older than me, uh, you, you don't appreciate the urgency of a ringing phone because let's face it, most people don't call today, do we? What do we do? We text right? So we don't, we don't really phone call much at all today. But even then, before we even started texting so much, uh, if we missed the call, it'd be okay because it'd be on caller ID or it'd be on your phone. You would know who had called and, and, and the, phone that you, the phone call that you missed. Or they leave a, a voicemail or, or something along those lines. You, you knew that it, it wasn't quite as urgent. On, on my phone, my, my, my ringer is hardly ever on. 
It's on vibrate. Uh, and if those of you who wear uh, smart watches, I, I, I used to have one. It, it broke, so I don't have one anymore. Uh, but I, I used to wear that, and it would, it would vibrate on my wrist. So I got in the habit of not having my phone ring, and I haven't probably for the last four or five years. I've rarely had my phone and the, the ringer on because... First of all, people rarely call me, uh, and it's kind of, you know, when you're out in public and, and everybody, you know, you've all been there, it might even happen this morning, somebody calls right now, and you've got your, your ringer on, uh, you, you know, you're kind of that, that awkward situation of, you know, no, nobody's calling, and, and then the, your phone rings right in the middle of a, a setting like this, you know how awkward that can be, but we, the point is, we don't appreciate the urgency of a ringing phone. Go back in time, you know, a couple of decades probably at this point, and when, when the phone was ringing, you had to rush to answer it because there was no caller ID, there was no voicemail. If someone was calling, it was probably important, so you wanted to, to get to it and, and answer it before uh, it stopped ringing. So the urgency of answering a call. Think about that as we think about Esther uh, chapter 4. We'll start in verses 3 and 4. Uh, just to set the stage a little bit, Esther has become the queen of the kingdom of Persia. The queen of the kingdom of Persia, certainly a, uh, a great position to be in, uh, but there's a problem. She is a Jew, and there is a man in the kingdom of Persia named Haman who does not like the Jews, primarily because of a man named Mordecai who doesn't give him the, uh, the respect that uh, Haman believes that he uh, is worthy of. Uh, and he, so in his extreme hatred of this slight, which we, we don't think that it would be that big of a deal, but in Haman's mind, this is a huge deal. Not only does he want to kill Mordecai, he wants to kill all of Mordecai's people in the entire kingdom. He wants to just wipe them completely out. Haman is an evil, evil man, right? We recognize that. So here's, here's what happens in Esther chapter, Esther chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. Now in each and every province where the word and the law of the king reached, okay, so the Haman got with the king and the king made a law that the Jews could all be killed. And, and wherever that reached, there was great mourning among the Jews with fasting, weeping, and wailing. And many made their bed in sackcloth and ashes. Then Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, and the queen writhed in great anguish. And she sent garments to clothe Mordecai and to remove his sackcloth from upon him. But he did not accept. Go down to verse 8. Uh, he, this is Mordecai, after talking with this uh, intermediary between Esther and himself, he also gave him a copy of the written law which had been given in Susa for their destruction in order to show Esther and to tell her and to command her to go before the king to implore his favor and to seek him out for her people. So Mordecai knows, Esther, you are a Jew. They're, they're related, uh, probably uh, uh, a niece and an uncle. And and they have this, uh, of course, he, he's calling on her. He says, hey, you are the queen. You have an opportunity to, to reach out and to save all of your people. So he's trying to encourage her. It even says there in my version, uh, command her. He is saying, we desperately need you, Esther, in this moment to answer the call. Go down to verses 11 through 14. Uh, this is Esther's response to Mordecai. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes before the king to the inner court who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he shall be put to death unless the king holds out his golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come before the king for these 30 days. So we think about this. Esther is in a, a powerful position. She's the, she's the queen. 
Uh, now, she's not the only queen or the only woman involved in the, in the king's life, and that's, of course, uh, a complicated issue. Uh, but he, he has chosen her to be queen. He has chosen her to, to have a, a special relationship with him. So there, there is some, some opportunity there, some authority there. But, but more importantly, she says, hey, Mordecai, I need you to understand something. Everybody knows that the king has a law. You don't come to the king unless you're called before the king. And if you do, the rule is, the expectation is, if you dare come before the king without being called, you are killed. That's period, end of story. Unless the king's happy to see you. And if he's happy to see you, then he'll lower his golden scepter and your life will be saved. But the rule is, the expectation is, the, the, the way that it will be, unless there is an exception, is that you will be killed if you come before the king. So she says, I, I need you to understand that. And, and we, we see into her mind, we see into her heart that, that this is a, a big responsibility that Mordecai has laid at her feet. And then verses uh, 12 through 14. So then Esther, so they told Esther's words to Mordecai. Then Mordecai said for them to respond to Esther, do not imagine that you in the king's house can escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise from the Jews from another place, and you and your father's father's household will perish. And who knows whether you have not reached royalty for such a time as this. And there's the phrase, right? For such a time as this. We recognize that probably if you're familiar with the story of Esther at all. Mordecai says, who knows whether you are in the position that you are in for such a time as this. As this, what does that think about? What is what lesson can we learn that that may relate to motherhood, but also certainly relate to to a, a relationship of influence uh, that you may have? I'd say Mordecai would would agree with a statement like this: If you are blessed, if you are if you have a blessing, and then you also have an opportunity to use that blessing to to help God's cause or to help other people, I would say Mordecai would say, and I would tend to agree with, if you have a blessing and that blessing gives you an opportunity to do something good, then you have a responsibility to do something good. Okay, listen, if you have a blessing and that blessing gives you the opportunity to do something good, then I would say, and I think Mordecai would say here, that means you have the responsibility to use that blessing and that opportunity to do good. Well, moms, children are a blessing, right? And you have the opportunity to to raise them up in the Lord and to teach them about the things that they need to know to live their life in order to follow Jesus. And you have a great responsibility. Another reason I was thinking about asking Evan to to call me in in this in this moment on this this point is is sometimes, and it's certainly not just for moms, uh, but sometimes we get so distracted, don't we? We get so distracted by so many things. Maybe it's not a phone call anymore because those don't happen very much. But texting or social media or or games or whatever it is, it's so easy. And all of us know it. We all talk about it. We all look at other people when they are uh, sitting there with their children and they're being distracted and their children are right beside them. And what do we think? Man, how sad. But we all do that sometimes. At least I do that sometimes. We get distracted because we don't recognize, we don't appreciate, we're not mindful of the opportunity that we have to answer the call. Moms, if you're here this morning and your children are next to you, or if you're here this morning and you're sitting beside someone who you have a, an opportunity to have a, a relationship and influence with them, I would like for you for just a moment to take a, take a moment to look at your child. Take a moment to look at the person that you have a, a relationship of influence with. Esther was told, who knows whether you have been appointed to this position for such a time as this. Mothers especially, but you can apply this in other relationships that you may have. 
Who knows, moms, if you haven't been appointed to this position for such a child as this. You have the opportunity and you have been blessed with the children or the relationships that you have. And you have a responsibility to fulfill those relationships and to help those people, especially certainly our children, to grow closer to God. Let's look further at the, the next point as we think about not missing our blessings. Uh, if you want to turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we'll look at uh, the story of Mary and Martha as they uh, interact with Jesus. Again, another familiar story. That's in Luke chapter 10. If you're using a pew Bible, that's on page 868. 868. We'll look at page, uh, Luke chapter 10. We're going to look at verses 38 through 42. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Now as they, this is Jesus and some of his companions, as they were traveling along, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who was also seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his words. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the preparations alone? Then tell her to help me. Notice she doesn't seemingly, at least we don't have recorded, she doesn't wait for an answer. She, this is a, in her mind, this is a rhetorical question. Lord, don't you care that she's making me do all this work by yourself? Of course you do, Lord. Tell her to get up and help me. That's her response. That's her mindset. She, she knows that Jesus is going to have a problem with m- what Mary is doing. But notice Jesus' response. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Again, you can apply this to every aspect of your life. You can think about this in your work life. You can think about this in your, your marriage life. You can think about this in friendships. You can think about this certainly in, in parenthood, what motherhood or fatherhood, being distracted by so many things. You know, I think that's one of Satan's greatest tools, isn't it? If he can't make us evil, he'll just make us busy. You've heard thoughts like that before, right? If he can't make us to just totally reject God and totally turn away from God and turn our backs against God, he'll just give us so many things that we have to do or we think that we have to do that we'll be too busy to do the things that we ought to do, that we should do, and that probably in reality that we would rather do, but we're distracted by those things. It's been said, and parents know this, that the days are long, but the years are short. That's certainly true of parenthood. Another way to look at it is we think about this idea of being distracted by blessings and, and missing the opportunities that we have with our children. I looked it up this, uh, this week uh, to raise in America today, according to a recent study, in a family where there are two children. Do you know how much it costs to raise a child? Over $310,000 from birth to age 17. That means that does not include college. All right. In a family of two children or more, it costs at least, on average, $310,000 without college in order to raise a child. It is expensive to raise a child. But let me suggest to you it's far more costly not to. It is expensive. It costs a lot of money to raise a child. But parents, mothers, people who have a a relationship of influence with with children or with other people, it's far more costly not to help someone grow and mature and become who they need to be, who God wants them to be. Uh, I read a a series of books that uh, has some some heroes in it, and and in this series of books they have a number of creeds. Uh, One of their creeds is Journey Before Destination. 
uh, journey before destination. Now that, that kind of sounds good, and I think it makes sense in a lot of ways. You can't get to your destination before you before you take the journey. When we think about it spiritually, we think about most often, probably in in contrast to that that thought of journey before destination. When we think about uh, our spirituality, when we think about other people's spirituality, most of the time we probably first focus on the destination, heaven, right? We think about we're trying to get our children to heaven. We're trying to help our spouse get to heaven. We're trying to help the, our loved ones or the lost. We're trying to get them to heaven. We think about the destination. We rarely, perhaps, think about the journey. Now, we know heaven is a prepared place. Jesus tells us that in John chapter 14. I go to prepare a place for you. It's a prepared place, right? But did you know that it's a prepared place for prepared people? There is a journey to get there. There is a maturing to get there. And you and I need to make sure that we take advantage and the opportunities that we have, especially mothers or fathers or, again, any relationship you have of influence. Let me share this for parents, though. Uh, again, this has been around recently on social media, so you may have seen this, but uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit of a gut punch uh, for those of us who are raising children or those of you who have already raised your children. Uh, this study said uh, that by the age of 12, your children have spent 75% of the time they will spend in their lives in your home. By the age of 12, they've spent 75% of all of the time in their entire life that they will spend within your home. By the age of 18, it's somewhere between 80 to 94%. What does that mean? It means, parents, the best, the most time that you will ever have to influence your children is before they leave your home. In, in, a, in a vast quantity, right? Up to 94%. That, that's, that's hard to even, even grasp, right? That, that your children, that in contrast to them growing up, you will rarely see your children. Rarely have the opportunity to have one-on-one, face-to-face, personal interactions with them once they leave your home. Parents, is that not a gut check? It certainly was for me. We need to make sure that we're taking the opportunity. You see, Mary was distracted by so many things. Martha was. But Mary recognized the most important thing, to focus on Jesus. And we need to help make sure our children are doing the same thing. Thirdly, and lastly this morning, let's think about some mom fails. Now, I very easily could on Father's Day do some dad fails, but it's Mother's Day, so here's some mom fails. I've got a few pictures for you here about some mom fails that we'll, we'll scroll through here. Let's go ahead and look at that first one. Uh, now, that you say, that's nothing wrong with that. That looks great. That's a, that's a handsome young man. I have no idea whose child this is. This was on social media. It's no, nobody here. Uh, but you'll notice, if you can see on the bottom uh, left-hand corner, it says, I don't want this. All right, so as the mother was ordering uh, school pictures, uh, there was a line that said, what name do you want on the pictures? And she said, I don't want this. And so for his name on his school picture that was sent home and and published, probably got all kinds of magnets to share with family and friends. Uh, His name is, I don't want this. Now, that's another question for another time about why she doesn't want her child, uh, but that's, that's what it is. All right, let's go to the next one. Uh, probably all of us have been here in some form or fashion. You know, you've got the, the beautiful Pinterest cake on one side and you've got your attempt to, uh, to copy that and, and make it look good. Moms, have you been there before? I know dads, we probably have been as well. Uh, next one, uh, we have, uh, how about that beautiful uh, braiding job? Um, and then the other one, right? Uh, so you've got some, some mom fails. Well, do we read about any mom fails in the Bible? 
Are there, are there failures of, of mothers in Scripture? Sure there are. Let's consider a few of them. Uh, think about Sarah. Sarah, who's going to have the, the promised son uh, for Abraham, who's going to, to have a long lineage and eventually will li- lead to Jesus. She laughed at God's plan. Uh, she laughed that she would be even be able to, to uh, con- consider and, and to fulfill God's plan. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she lost Jesus. Can you imagine she lost Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Chosen One, the one who's going to die on the cross and forgive us for all of our sins. She lost him, not just at Walmart for a few minutes or didn't just you know, turn around and didn't see where he was. Now, again, parents, and if you've ever been a parent or if you've ever been in charge of children, if you lose them for just a moment, especially the first few times, or if they're not your child, you know how your heart begins to go crazy, right? Can you imagine Mary's feelings as she thought about losing Jesus, the Son of God. Uh, Rahab, again, in the lineage of Jesus, who's going to be, uh, I believe, the, the great-grandmother of, of King David. Uh, she's a harlot. Uh, she's she's a, a woman of the night. She's just uh, not someone we would generally think about being uh, in the lineage of this Messiah, and certain, maybe not even of the King of Israel. And then uh, Moses' mom put him in a river. And now there are reasons, but that's still a pretty crazy plan, right? You know, I know there are reasons. Uh, they, were, they were killing all the male babies. I, I get it. Uh, but uh, she was pretty desperate uh, to save her son. And she, she makes this, this plan and it, it works. But if it hadn't worked, uh, you know, what a bad idea, right? Uh, because we know the end of the story, we think, yeah, that's, you know, we just kind of gloss over the fact that she put him in a basket and put him in the river. And we just say, oh, that's, yeah, of course she did. That's crazy, right? Uh, so there's all kinds of mom fails. What lessons do we learn about failures? What lessons do we learn about being a, a, a failure as a mother, a failure as a father, a failure as someone in a relationship of influence? Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll read uh, verses 7 through, t- through 10. It's on page 970 in your pew Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll read verses 7 through 10. Um, as was mentioned earlier, uh, Paul is talking here about, about boasting a, a little bit. Uh, but if you go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, man, Paul boasts all over the place. He's just, he's just, he's boasting and he's boasting and he's boasting. He's not, he's not doing it arrogantly. He's doing it because he and the, the Corinthians, they're having some pretty strong, the Corinthians are having their own issues. And then Paul and the Corinthians are having some issues. So he's reminding them, hey, you need to understand who I am. And he's not doing it arrogantly. He's doing it in only the, a way that only Paul could do it because of all the difficult and amazing and just out-of-this-world kinds of things that he went through for the cause of Christ. And he even talks about how he uh, received a special revelation and how he was called up to the third heaven and, and all these types of things. But then we have in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, it says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, because of all the things that God has allowed me to see, to know, to understand, to do, because of all these good things, for this reason, to me, to keep from exalting myself, there was given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions and hardship for the sake of Christ. Listen to this, moms, listen to this, all of us. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Moms, have you ever felt like a failure? Have you ever 
said the wrong thing at just the wrong time? Have you ever failed to do the thing that you needed to do or maybe more importantly that your children needed to do? And again, apply this to any relationship that you have outside of motherhood. We've all been there. We've all said the wrong thing, done the wrong thing, failed to do the right thing. We have all been there. Moms, what do we learn? Christians, what do we learn? I want to encourage you to leave room for Jesus. He is greater than you are. Uh, Parents, moms, Jesus wants your child to be with him eternally far more than you do. And I know how much you do. But he wants your child to be there even more. You will fail, you will mess up, you will fall short of of your responsibility and the opportunity despite the blessings that you have. You will fail and you will mess up. But leave room for Jesus and trust that he can help you. So three things to take with you this morning, moms, but all of us, as we think about uh, relationships of influence. I want to encourage you to do these three things. Be mindful. Recognize the opportunities that you have. Be mindful. Be thoughtful. Uh, it, It will not happen by accident. Be mindful. Secondly, be present. Don't miss the opportunities when they're standing right in front of you. Whether they're in a crib or on the ball field or across the conference table, don't miss the opportunities. Be present then and there to make an influence on the people that you're with. And thirdly, be gracious. Be gracious to other people, but even be gracious with yourself recognize that God knows that you are not perfect and that's why he sent his son Jesus to die, to give hope and to do something not only salvation related, but even helping the people in your life better than you can. None of us are perfect in any of those things and we need to leave room for Jesus. This morning at the bottom of your, uh, your bulletin, if you've noticed, there is that uh, dose of discipline again. I would like to encourage you again that the, the, the equation there is I will behavior at uh, it, it, I will behavior at time in place. Uh, so parents, mothers, fathers, uh, all of us, as we think about relationships that we may have, think about how can you be mindful? How can you be present? And how can you be gracious in the relationships that you have? And, and what specific things will you lay out in order to do that? Uh, this morning, we are thankful for mothers, but we're thankful that everyone's here. We're thankful that you're here, whether uh, you are a mother or not, uh, whether you're here because of your mother or, or not this morning to, to worship with us. Uh, we're thankful that you're here. And, and we want you to, to recognize and to realize that you have, there is a God who loves you. And there are a group of people here this morning who love you. We may not even know you yet, but we love you. We care about you. Uh, we want to do that better. And if you want to know more about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we want to talk to you about that. This morning, uh, maybe you already know about Jesus. Maybe at, you're at some point in your spiritual walk with him. But if you are to the point where you believe that he's the resurrected son of God, you're willing to confess him as the Lord of your life, uh, submit to him, repent of your sins, and be baptized into Christ for the remission of those sins, and you can become a Christian this morning. Uh, if you are a Christian, how's your walk? If you are a Christian, how are you living for God? Are there things going on in your life that you need help with? Again, we want you to recognize that uh, we are a family here. We're an we're a imperfect group of people following a perfect God. And if you need help, we want to help you. Uh, we want to be mindful. We want to be present in your life. And we want to be gracious to you this morning. If there's anything that we can do for you this morning, uh, here in just a second, Jacob's going to come and lead us a song. We're going to stand. And if you want to come forward and, and sit on one of these front pews, I'll be happy to talk with you. Some of our shepherds will be happy to talk with you. But if you've got something going on in your life and you know that your life is not right with God, I would encourage you to make sure that you get that right.
If you have any needs this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.